I, I want to welcome you to today's edition of The Bradley Hall Show. And I am your host, The Bradley Hall. If you or someone you know has recently discovered through an at-home DNA testing kit that one or both of your biological parents are not who you always thought they were, I want you to know that you are not alone. In fact, there's a very large group of people just like you who have connected and bonded over this unique situation. I happen to be one of them. The group is sponsored by an organization called the NPE Friends Fellowship. If you would like more information on how to join this group, please visit my website, www.thebradleyhall.com and look for the free NPE Resources Kit. Simply submit your email and I will send you an email full of links and resources to help you in your journey, including specific instructions on how to find and join the MPE Friends Fellowship. We look forward to sharing your journey with you. All right, we're recording, so hi, Libby. Hey. Thank Thanks you for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm ha really happy to be here. Yeah, it's my pleasure. It's my pleasure. Okay, so I have um, I have read your uh, introduction, your bio. Do you want? I want to give you a chance to tell our listeners a little bit about you, what you'd like them to know. Sure. So um, I've been a journalist for about 20 years, and um, over the years, I became increasingly interested in how technology shapes human behavior and um, how culture and technology and science kind of interact and influence one another. Um, so that's sort of like my sweet spot is why do we do what we do? How do we uh, define our identities? And um, all that work um, on identity and um, self-definition, self-conception, all that kind of, you know, became, um, part of what informed my interest in DNA testing a few years ago and led me to test and led me to write about, about testing. Okay. Okay, great. So, um, I would assume, and I, I, I don't know if you're aware that through the MPE friends fellowship, we've designated June as MPE awareness month. Yeah. I heard about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm, I'm doing a series this month, uh, with my podcast on, and, um, for that reason, and I myself am an NP, how I, I got into all this. So I really appreciate you doing this um, for us, for the entire group on the behalf of you know, the entire group. Thank you. Um, okay, so when you, first, uh, when you first got into the DNA aspect, how long, how long ago was that? So that was about three years ago. Um, my okay. parents had done testing for years before that. Um, okay. But I, that was when I tested, was twenty early 2017. Okay. So uh, right around the same time as the rest of us, when it really caught on and, and got popular. Um, what, in, what intrigued you to begin writing about it? So I started writing about it. I wrote a story for the Washington Post uh, tw early 2017, and it was the response that made me like sit up and take notice. Um, because there was, um, I wrote a story for the Washington Post and um, it, the, the piece went viral. It was like it was one woman's story. Um, and it had a lot of twists and turns. It was really kind of like a genetic detective mystery. 
okay. that she that she basically followed. Um, but the response was so powerful from people who were saying, I want to share with you, you know, how DNA testing changed my life. Um, and I, I think it's cool that you guys are doing this for June, you know, NPE month, because I think it's like such an important issue. I, I feel really passionately that, um, you know, that, that we need to be talking about what these experiences are like. And particularly, you know, there's always been the experience of being an NPE. But with DNA testing, um, it, it's many more people experiencing it, and it's often experiencing it in a different way. So you're finding out as a result of a test versus like somebody telling you, for instance, and it happens right. all at once, it happens very quickly. The shock and the trauma of it can be really profound. And I was seeing that in the emails that I was getting. I was getting emails from people who were experiencing NPEs. I was getting emails from spirit, people who didn't know they were adopted from people who were donor conceived and maybe didn't know it or or knew it but then were discovering that they had you know upwards of 20 or 50 siblings wow. through, through that experience and so you know i just thought this is a seismic change this is a kind of a revelation right in the way that we understand the truth about our families about the way that we talk to each other about the past about our own childhoods and we need to be grappling with this in a major way, not, not just individual stories, although those stories I think are really important and, and let other people inside. And I tried to tell a lot of those individual stories in my book, but also like to look at it as like a cultural phenomenon so that we can all kind of be together in our understanding of it, that, that people are not alone in this, that it needs to be normalized. And we need to have conversations about how to help people get through these situations. Yeah, absolutely. I, very well said. I agree with you completely. I think this is the new normal. And even people that aren't affected now will be affected eventually. They will know someone they will be related to someone. I'm sure that, and, and we don't need to go off on this tangent, but I'm sure we're looking at, at futuristic changes as, as we map the genome and, 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 and we begin linking family trees with the DNA and really sorting this out from here forward. We may have uh, mandatory testing in the future. I don't know where this is going to go, but mm -hmm. this is, I think we're, we're witnessing a change in humanity and how we do things from, from here on out. Would you agree with that? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I, I think there's certain things that we're going to just have to assume going forward can't be secrets anymore, right? Like they're just not going to exist as genetic, genetic secrets will not exist. Yeah. This is going to change the way that parents talk to their children. Right. This is going to yeah. change the way that siblings talk to one another. Um, it's, it's just, um, it's a major, I don't think you can overstate how big a change this is for the, for the American family. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the side caveats is um, so many people um, from previous generations lived their life a certain way. And then all of a sudden everything was turned upside down unexpectedly people. And I don't, I don't mean this um, as nefarious as it sounds, but people thought that their secret would die with them that may be even in their 60s, 70s, 80s, and 90s. We, I've seen that. I know you mentioned that in your book. Um, and then all of a sudden, the cat's out of the bag. And um, it, it's, it's, it's a radical shift for, for a lot of families. Very traumatic, as you said, very traumatic. Right, it's trauma on both sides, right? It's not just the person who's going through the discovery. It's the person on the other side, the, the secret keepers, or maybe, or maybe people who didn't even know that they'd helped conceive a child. This is a sea change for them, too. It's different for them. That's right. That's right. And we've talked about this on the podcast before. It affects everyone. NPEs 
are, and rightfully so, because it's trauma. And when, when trauma happens to us, we, our focus turns inward for survival instinct, right? If we're, we're, if we're in, a, in, a, in a life-threatening traumatic situation, we don't have the ability to have compassion for anything or anyone else around us. It, be, it becomes survival. And MPEs, when we experience this, we, we, we turn our focus in for, for that reason. It's all about us. But this, this is a ripple effect. This affects everyone. I'm sure you've seen this in your book. Um, it's not just the NPE. It's, it's the mother. It's the, the new father. It's the birth certificate father. It's the, the, ha the full siblings you grew up with that are now your half-siblings. It's your new half-siblings that didn't realize they had another. It's new cousins. Um, and there is a ripple effect that, it, it, that is phenomenal. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I've started thinking about the number of people that are affected. Um, so if I can just like throw some numbers at you. Sure. So we have at least 30 million people in the databases across four, four companies right now. Um, okay. Ancestry, 23andMe, MyHeritage, and FamilyTreeDNA. So is that, is that 30 million total between the four? So there could be duplicates within those organizations? Yes. Yeah, Not necessarily 30 million separate Americans. It probably is about that at this point. Okay. Um, okay. There may be small duplications, but from the people I talk to, it's probably a relatively small percentage. And okay. the number may be slightly higher than 30, um, but 16 in Ancestry, 10 in 23andMe. Um, and then the rest of the 4 million is made up of, of other companies. Okay. So of those uh, approximately 30 million Americans, um, from what I can tell from talking to like population geneticists and um, genetic genealogists who work with this and other industry observers, there's probably a conservative estimate is that at least a million people of those people who've tested have experienced one of two um, you know, significant surprises, either that they discover they're the product of a not parent expected event or that they have like a sibling or half sibling they didn't know about okay so so okay so that's one million people but the universe of surprises is actually bigger i've just i'm talking about that narrow category because it's sort of easiest to to kind of get your hands around but you've also have people discovering that they are um you know adopted you also have people discovering that their donor conceived and that they have multiple siblings how would you categorize that you also have people who discover that some significant aspect of their genetic ancestry was hidden from them so i write about a guy in the book for instance who you know he's significant sub-saharan african ancestry it was hidden from him for his protection his mother did not want him to experience the kind of racism that she had experienced so she told him he was something else Okay. Um, so you've got like piles of different, you know, categories of, 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 of surprises. Then for each, each surprise, it, you've got it refracting across multiple family members. Okay. So, you know, one single revelation affects potentially your immediate family plus the family of, say, your genetic father. Or if you, in the case of a discovery that you're adopted, you've got three separate families. So a single, a single revelation is going to affect say eight to 10 people. Yeah. So what you're really talking about is millions of Americans impacted by this, the vast majority of whom are never spitting into a tube. So this is an important thing to think about, even if you never, even if you never engage in DNA testing. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Thank you for, for sharing those numbers. What, what, and I know you, 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 you broach the subject in your book. 
I've heard all types of numbers with the NPE figure. I've heard all, I've heard everywhere from two percent up to thirty percent. What is your professional opinion on that? Yeah, I think it's about one point nine percent. Okay, so um, right around the two percent. Yeah, based on the population, the population geneticists who do the papers and they sort of look at like um, surveys across cultures. That seems to be where the consensus is. There is that thirty percent number, but I. I haven't seen evidence to support that the number is anywhere near that high. Okay. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, you know, being an NPE that, you know, that there's a lot of jokes that the more the merrier, uh, because it makes us feel a little more normalized, uh, with a, a sick twisted sense of humor, but, um, Two out of hundred is a lot of people. Yes, it is. That's actually, that's actually, you're, you're definitely not alone. Right. I mean, yeah, yeah 30% would be much higher, but, um, but two out of a hundred people is a lot. Yeah, and and when we when we when we apply that number throughout history, it's it's mind-boggling, and we get into a completely different case of of heritage and and uh, lineage and that kind of absolutely because it's cumulative, right? So the chances yeah. that your life has been touched by an MPE get greater each generation you go back. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, okay, so. What, I mean, we talked about your inspiration for the book and I'd like to know what part of this story, when, uh, let's talk, well, let's talk about your book real quick. Okay, let's do that. That's why we're here, right? Your book is The Lost Family and it's a, <clears throat> it's a conglomeration of DNA stories, correct? Right. Yeah. It's a, it's a kind of stories from early adopters of this technology and all the different ways it can play out um, built around a single narrative. So there's one story that kind of threads you through that's very complex and um, um, surprising. And then through that story, I've then stepped off the path to tell you about many other kinds of DNA surprises. And it also explores like the science, uh, the history of DNA testing, the business of it. I got to tour um, a couple of companies um, so, you know, it has all that kind of mixed in. So you get a sense of the landscape. Okay. Okay, great. So w through this project, I'd like to know what, what had the greatest impact on you personally that I'm, I'm assuming, I'm assuming with something like this and, and, and researching all the research and all the things you learned, but working with so many people and hearing their stories and their emotional stories and their emotional pleas. Yeah that this had some type of an impact on you. Absolutely. Can you, I mean, I, you I share that with me? Yeah, I mean, what struck me over and over was the commonality of the experience. So you could take somebody from Washington State um, who was 70 years old, and then you could take somebody who was in his 40s living in Minnesota, and you could take a person in Florida in her 20s. And they had different experiences but all of them involved a revelation about their conception, right? Or how they came to be in the world, their, their origin story, if you will. And the experiences were very similar in terms of their emotional content. And that's what struck me. You know, you start to feel a kind of a rhythm, a kind of a commonality, the language is similar. Um, there's a, a desire for understanding. It's like a, an incredibly powerful desire to know the truth. Once you know, there's 
almost nobody who says, in my experience that I talk to, who says, I wish I didn't know this. Because even though it's like really painful sometimes to find out, there's, we place such an inherent truth on, on uh, inherent, you know, high value on knowing the truth about, about your own experience. So that's one aspect. Um, the sense of displacement, when you realize that you're not who you thought, um, it's, it's very interesting. Again, the language around this sense of displacement was very familiar. I would hear it come up and again and again using different metaphors, but a feeling of being adrift, a feeling of being cut off, a feeling of being floating in the water, far away from your family of origin that you thought you were genetically related to. And then a sense of seeking, right? Like um, a desire to put down roots, a desire to know exactly where on this earth you should stand. So there's like a kind of a disorientation followed by a desire for like orientation, a desire to like be like located somewhere. And it seemed to me like people from what they said, they really needed that um, they really needed that knowledge. They really needed to know, they didn't necessarily have to have a relationship with their genetic parents, but they needed to know sort of where they came from in order to be able to like say, okay, this is where I am. This is where I can rest here. This is, this is, this is me. Yeah. So that, <clears throat> that's pretty much my experience in a nutshell. Is that, okay. I was just about to ask, like, is that your ex experience as well? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I identify with Jason. In, in in your story yeah um i uh, i knew something was off my entire life i used to ask questions jokingly and uh, but I, I just knew something wasn't right i didn't really know what it was um it was so it wasn't a huge shock to me when i found out but it 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 answered a lot of questions it answered a lot of questions that i had and answered a lot of questions that i didn't realize that i had just it's hard to explain. It was a, it was a relief in a way because it, everything suddenly made sense that my life hadn't made sense. And suddenly it made sense all at once. And, um, hmm. I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't trade it either. I wouldn't trade it for anything. And, and I do a lot of work with NPEs to try to get them to realize, um, to really own their experience. This is an opportunity. You, you touched on this uh, just a second ago that, with, with our identity, our identity is created and we don't realize that we actually create it. Even at an age when we don't understand that that's what we're doing, we take, we take information given to us and we accept that. Uh, we take it for granted and we accept that as truth. We're told that uh, we, we come from this family or this family and we do this or we do that. This is our motto. This is, you know, grandma, grandma taught me how to can and, and her grandma taught her and, and I'm going to teach you and, and the, the father, you know, all the habits and everything. And we put it all together and that's how we forge our personality. And as an NPE, it's a real wake up call. It's, it's metaphorically like the matrix. It's the red pill and the blue pill. And <laughs> yes, yeah. yeah, it, it rips the veil off the charade that we live and you're, you're forced to deal with the fact that you're not who you thought you were, uh, which is painful, but it's a beauty. It's beautiful in a sense, because now when we have this conversation and I explain to them, you agreed to adopt these things as your personality before. Now you get to do it with awareness and, and maturity and wisdom. And 
you get to rebuild who you are based on new information. And you can keep stuff from your old family. You keep stuff from your new family. You can get rid of all of it and go find new stuff. But <clears throat> so there's a real opportunity here. Unfortunately, it's incredibly difficult to get to because the pain is so overwhelming and uh, it really is a traumatic experience. We, uh, there's an organization that I'm, I'm, uh, I'm part of called the International Association of Trauma Recovery Coaches. And it's founded by a, uh, a licensed therapist who founded the, the coaching organization to deal specifically with trauma. And we're working on a model for NPEs because it in itself, as you're well aware, is uh, is extremely traumatic and and wow. I'm sure I there's not a lot of therapists trained to handle this right now. Yeah, there aren't. I I think I know of three, three or four. Okay. Um, and also, tra I mean, traumatic in all the ways that we've talked about, and many more, I'm sure. And also in terms of the relationship with the parents, and maybe if the parents knew. Yeah. The trust with them, or the trust with the mom, depending on the situation, like. Um, I've, I saw, and I mentioned in the book, like there's a study um, of, of people who are donor conceived and in cases where they were not told that they were donor conceived and then found out later in life, it was not the revelation of being donor conceived that bothered them. Um, you know, it, it was the not having been told, right? They could, right. They could accept that. Right. They could work with that. That that was the reality of it. It was the fact that they hadn't known, and the way that that affected their relationship with the people who who didn't tell them for reasons that historically often made sense. But nevertheless, um, you know, p people thought they were often doing their best, and now, of course, we see it differently because now. The wisdom is that you do tell your child that they're donor conceived. Yeah, it's it's, a, it's a different world. Yeah, and it's a different world. And so, you know, it's it's difficult to go back and judge people by contemporary standards, especially if it's, you know, 60, 70 years ago. But nevertheless, for the child, for the adult child to discover that, it can be very painful for their relationship with their parents. Absolutely. And I'd like to, I'd like to expand on that a little bit because I think it's important for people to understand the historical context that today we, privacy is dead. We, <laughs> I, you know, we, if there was any left 20 years ago, it's gone. We, I mean, we live our lives openly on social media. Yeah. Everything's in Google. Google is, Google is, is, uh, is a living, breathing, growing entity. Every time we put information on into the, the internet, Google expands and grows. And everything about us is all over the place. I'm amazed if I Google someone's information and I can't find it. I'm just absolutely amazed. And so we are not shy about, because of, of television, internet, and, and social media, we're not shy about our business anymore. We're, we talk about things open. And even with the trauma that I'm dealing with, it's a thing now to talk about your trauma. But right. when we look at, at uh, the greatest generation, which we're losing they're, they're We've lost most of them there because of their age. My great grandmother died at 99 in 1999. Um, she was extremely private. There were just things that you didn't, you just didn't talk about it, it. It wasn't any of your business. And she would tell you it wasn't any of your, her business. And that's the way that, that those people lived their lives. Everything was very private, very discreet. You just handled your business. You didn't, you didn't worry about anybody else's business. 
And so when that, that plays into this tremendously, because if a woman um, was 15 and got pregnant, for example, many people probably don't realize there was a time if you were a teenager, a female, you were a teenager and you were pregnant, you were shipped out of state to someone else's house and oftentimes to a home Absolutely. where people didn't really know what was going on. They kept it very, very quiet. Absolutely. And there are cases of women who were told that their babies died in the hospital and they were just really taken away. Oh, I wow. Mean, I didn't know that. Yeah. There's a case, actually, there's a case that was reported, I want to say in the New York Times a year or so ago, about a woman who gave birth to a baby, thought that baby was dead because that's what she was told. She was an unmarried young woman. She never was able to have another child after that. That child was actually taken from her and they discovered each other through DNA testing. That child is now in her 60s. The woman is now in her 80s. Wow. So you're absolutely right about the landscape of how how oppressive it was for people. And I really think about it as cultures, two, two wildly different cultures bumping up against each other. That's, right. That's what the DNA age represents. It represents two vastly different places, right? The, the present and the past. A culture of transparency versus, you know, s stigma, taboos. Um, and it's all, it's all coming, it's all kind of coming out into the open right now. So, you know, there need to be many more therapists doing this work right now, really. And, <laughs> not, and not just for one side, but for every side of this experience, because, you know, um, I'm sure that the experience of, of a mother is different from the experience of that child. And, and yet, you know, hopefully, ideally, in an ideal world, everyone can talk about it in a safe place and work through it, because it's, it's really tough. Yeah, it, it, it really is. And my advice, um, I, I've given my advice. Uh, to, my mother did not tell me um, and then emphatically denied it despite the, the science. And I know you've heard, I mean, that, it's not anything new. So it's, a, it's an extremely complex situation. Um, I've been angry with her, but I also, I also understand the position she was in. I don't agree with what she did. Um, but I, tr I really try to understand the human angle, but I want to, I've said this before, I want to take this opportunity again, that anyone who has a secret now, you might want to try to get on, get in front of this. And because this isn't going away, is it? Yeah. I mean, I think you're, you're saying um, things that I've certainly heard before. Um, and that I have said myself, <laughs> which is yeah. that if you are in possession of a genetic secret, that it's not a matter of if, but when most likely, and that it is vastly better to find out from a loved one than it is to spit into a tube and find out from a computer screen, because then you can't, you've got all those feelings of why didn't they tell me? And it's just Sorry. an impersonal, form of delivery, um, it is, I think, helpful to the trust to, you know, kind of get in front of it, like you say, and, and tell that child. Um, because I, I think, you know, I think it's not really, you know, years ago, the question was, was sort of like, so maybe in 2015 or 2016, like, what should you think about before you test? You know, and I think that's still an important question. But I think increasingly with the numbers that are in the databases, 
Like we're all sort of like um, affected by this technology now. So it's kind of not even a question of whether you choose to test. Right. You mentioned that in your book. Yeah, because yeah. like, so you don't test. So your sibling tests, your aunt tests. So that means that it's not, it's not just a matter of like waiting for your child to say, hey, I'm taking a DNA test and then being like, okay, let me have a talk with you first. You just need to assume that like, even if they never test, you know, it, it even can, it can, it can kind of, in some cases it can come out in another way. Um, so, it, you know, <laughs> I think it's, I think it's a, a kind of a, you know, it's a question of, you know, getting, like you said, getting in front of it before, um, before they find out in some other fashion. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and in my case, my biological father passed away in 2004. And so it was through a roundabout way because of, of connections with cousins, with various cousins, uh, and a little bit of sleuth work, a little bit of detective work. And uh, I was able to piece some things together. I found a peep, one piece of the puzzle. It's actually a, a, a kind of a, a funny story. I had looked at it for a few weeks, uh, actually a few months, um, and then I snapped, right? I'm sure you've heard that this, I became, I became obsessed with it. One day, mm. I just became obsessed with it. I stayed up all night long, literally all night long. Wow. And my wife came out um, in the morning, you know, like, what, <laughs> what in the hell are you, you doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, I had, I had covered so much ground through the night that I couldn't stop, but I just couldn't find the missing link. And it's ironic because despite all the, all the, all the work I had done through that time, my wife sat down because she, obviously she was, she was concerned because she could tell that I'd been up all night and, and I was pale and I was frustrated. And within minutes, she pulled up my biological father's obituary that I hadn't found in that 10 hours worth of work. But that was the missing link to, that pulled everything else together. Then I contacted a cousin and once I had a, some information that I gave her, there were a couple of keywords. I, I don't know what they are, but I know her at it. I had contacted her before. She didn't know, but some of the things I said really triggered her. And she was, and she sent me every, she sent me a family tree of 48,000 people, which is phenomenal. Wow. She's, yeah. She's a, she's a genealogist. So wow. Yeah. 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 So I, I hit the mother load there, but the point was, is that my father never tested and uh you know his parents never tested his his siblings never tested they were all they'd all passed away except for one he's he's in his 80s um but it was it was his it was his first cousin it was the one that i connected to so there's a there were so many people between him and i that that didn't test it was someone that was far out and just i told the story just to, to corroborate what you just said and um with the database growing it could it could yeah. be a third fourth fifth cousin um, right. And all you have to do is work the tree backwards and, and a little bit of work, um, which actually I, I didn't I didn't get a chance to look at the chapter on search angels, but you have a chapter about search angels. Would you like to talk about that? I know that's a, a, yeah. a hot topic with with NPEs. Yeah. So, um, you know, DNA testing goes back 20 years. Um, the very first kits were sent out um, by Family Tree DNA, which is the oldest company in the States that does recreational DNA testing. Um, in April of 2000. So, but it takes us 10 years to get to the advent of autosomal DNA testing, which is the kind of testing that we're talking about that everyone's doing now. Um, 
you know, depending on the company, the years vary a little bit, but you start seeing this kind of testing and the, um, the presence of being able to find your genetic cousins, your genetic kin around 2010, 2009, 2010. And that's also when you start to see um, the like adoptees starting to use this information to come up with a way, a formula to, um, to figure out how to find their, um, their birth families. And that also is like the very beginnings of the presence of search angels who are people who, you know, volunteer. They, they're good at genetic genealogy, which is a kind of puzzle solving that I don't think I can do at all. Um, and you have you so you have to be able to do not you have to understand the DNA and you have to also be a genealogist that that seems that's I think that's the part that seems really challenging to me. Um, and so you, you see like an organization like DNA adoption. So they're, you know, they kind of give birth to um, a method um, and also eventually they start training people and you see adoptees coming out of that. Some of those adoptees act as search angels for others. Some people are just search angels without having that background as being an adoptee. Um, and that community keeps growing and growing and it's primarily growing in more recent years on Facebook. And so there's a lot of organizations like DNA detectives, um, like a lot of the subgroups of DNA detectives um, and a lot of the other organizations that are not affiliated that specialize in um, you know, Italian um, genetic ancestry and Jewish genetic ancestry and specific areas, you know, of different countries. And on those groups, sometimes there are people who are willing to help. And sometimes it helps that they have this, this kind of history. And then there are also people who, um, who, you know, rent, they, you know, you can, you can purchase their services, you can, you can um, pay them money to help you. But the search angels are fascinating, because they are primarily women, from what I can tell. Um, they're kind of grassroots, they're driven by a sense that, that people deserve to know their genetic origins, and that people shouldn't have to pay. And so they do this for free. And, you know, some of the people who have been doing this very long time, and are very good at it are now becoming household names, mainstream names, um, so people have heard of them and um, they write books and it's a field that they genetic genealogy is a field that that citizen scientists created nobody no company came along and said you know here's how to be a genetic genealogist they taught themselves how to do it they taught themselves this, these techniques or they, they they learn them from other people and so it's it's an absolutely extraordinary kind of field of citizen science wow that's fascinating i didn't i didn't know all that and to think that i, I guess i really didn't think the, back to the, the origins of the autosomal DNA and that this is only uh, ten, 10 years old. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it, I think around 2013, you have the first million kits sold of autosomal DNA. So you're th talking 2013 to now, you go from 1 million to 30 million. Wow. That's, that's crazy growth. Even just, yeah. I think 2017 was 8 million. So just to go from eight to to thirty in like three years, that's that's totally wild. It, it really is, which goes back to the very beginning of the conversation that I don't know where this is going, but it's going to change the way we do everything. It, it's not inconceivable to think in ten or fifteen years that, that we will have just tested almost everyone, and you know. Um, yeah, it's possible, although there has been a recent slowdown, um, which you yes. probably read about. Ancestry had a big layoff. 
I actually know someone who was was laid off um, in uh, February or March following their um, made a dismal sales. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, yeah. And 23 yeah. needed has had a slowdown too. And I mean, I think it's important to put in context that that slowdown was following like enormous crazy growth. Yeah. And now you're seeing a pivot towards other kinds of testing and the, the health related testing tends to bundle the ancestry results. So what that means is you may, if, if they're successful in getting people interested in testing about, um, you know, diseases for interest, like for, for instance, like risk for diseases, um, then it, what it looks like is people will also get their ethnicity estimate and their list of genetic kin. So it's not, it's not going to stop, right? The databases are going to grow. Mm -hmm. um, and these revelations are going to continue to happen, but it, you're not going to see the incredible curve of growth. I don't know that that could have been sustained. Um, it's sort of like now a little bit of a, a more gentle slope. Okay. Makes sense. And I've also heard concerns about one, the, the topic that we're discussing, um, the, the, the DNA surprises. Um, and, and, and I know that there's a concern over privacy and uh, law enforcement and, and that type of thing. I don't think those two things, um, I, though I think they have an effect, I don't think they have the dramatic effect. I think that your the sustainable growth is about very valid point. I think you're, you're right on with that. Yeah, I mean, I think um, I, I tend to agree with you. Um, but and again, this is this is kind of stuff that I culled from talking to people in the business that I think the mm -hmm. privacy is a concern, but I think it's maybe subsidiary to the fact that the companies basically vacuumed up all the early adopters who were really interested in doing this for the purposes of family research or getting their ethnicity estimates. And I think that there's just a limited category of people who are going to do that. We're going to spend 99 bucks to do that. Um, and then they need to sort of find what their other market is. Sure. Yeah. Makes sense. Makes sense completely. Um, so I, I, again, I appreciate you doing this. Um, is there anything, I mean, what have you come away with, with all this? I mean, what, what's a final thought you'd like to share with my listeners? Yeah. I, you know, I think that questions about the questions that the age of recreational genetic testing kind of bring to the fore, um, are relevant to everyone. They're not just important to people who do DNA testing and say, discover an NPE. Um, that's, and that's because the people that I interviewed for the last family and that I've just been talking to over the years and talking to since the book came out, you know, over and over, they're talking about themes that are important to all of us. So what makes me who I am? How do I define my ethnicity and my culture? Is that the product of genetics or experience or intention, the intention of my parents? Like what, how does that come to be? What is family? What is a father? Um, these are all things we've thought about for a really long time. And um, you can go back to like ancient Rome for people kind of pondering like the, na like the, the nature of a foster father, right? And and what rights he should have, for instance, versus a biological father. So these are like ancient questions. And they matter to us because they matter in terms of how we understand our orientation on the world and how we think about ourselves. And so like I definitely, through the process of writing this book, came to think about how I define my ethnicity and why. 
because it's, it's selecting, it's, it's self-selecting. Like I, I don't think of myself as 25% this and 25% that and 50% this. I think of myself as like totally one thing. Yeah. <laughs> Based on how I was raised and the values I was raised with, but I'm mostly not that. So why is that? Right. Um, and so I think, so I, I think it's relevant to me. Right. And I did not, and I did not experience a significant DNA surprise, but I did experience the incredible immediacy of the past that DNA testing allowed me to access. And, and the sense that I think all of us have now that the past is not that far away and the past shapes us, whether you're talking about 50 years ago when you were born or a hundred years ago, when your, you know, immigrant forebears came over, um, we are the products of those things. And I think DNA testing makes that really, really evident and allows you then to engage in these questions of like searching and selfhood that I think are becoming increasingly common for Americans, right? This is the age of discovery. It's the age of seekers. It's the age of us all kind of seeking out self and family and identity. Yeah. I don't have anything to add to that. That was, <laughs> that was, that was quite eloquent, quite amazing. I, I, I agree with you. And it's a new twist on um, interest in history. You know, history previously was written uh, by the victors and we all read the same book and we all learned the same story. Um, the, the age of information has certainly changed that. There's information uh, about everyone and everything in history for the most part. Um, genealogy is certainly a key into that. Um, I, I can I can attest for that with I I have become extremely interested in my genealogy since I found my family. I've learned more about history in the last two years um, than I had in the previous ten. Wow! Uh, and 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 I'm fascinated with history, but it it's just I see things so much differently because of the things that we're talking about. So yeah, um, yeah, it's a very 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 well put. Well, Libby, I appreciate you uh, joining me today. Um, this is a, was a great conversation. I, really I love talking. This. I'm so thrilled that you had me, and I, I had the best time talking to you. This was really fascinating. Good, good, good. So I, I want to give you, uh, I want to give you a plug, uh, LibbyCopeland.com, mm -hmm. uh, and your book, which is sitting right over your shoulder, The Lost Family, um, and they can find the book at your website. Yeah, um, Amazon. Um, and if you want to support independent booksellers um, for this or any other book, you should check out bookshop.org, okay. which is like all those bookstores that everyone's worried about. They're going out of business. Bookshop.org kind of is a coalition of independent booksellers. So if you can oh. buy any place. Yeah. Either okay. Place. Awesome. That's good information. I didn't know that as well. Yeah. I've learned a lot from you today. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, well, good. Well, again, I appreciate you. Um, and uh, maybe we can uh, find another topic and have you back soon. I would love that. Thank you. Great. All right. Well, take care, Libby. Thanks. Thanks. Bye-bye. Hello? Is anyone here? Hello? Hello? Oh, oh, hi. There you are. I've been looking all over for you. I want to thank you for listening. Uh, today. I also want to tell you, if you haven't checked out my website lately, uh, you should do that. It's www.thebradleyhall.com. Just to remind you, I am a holistic life coach, a certified mindfulness instructor, and I am a trauma recovery coach. And in these uncertain times, sometimes 
We just need someone to talk to, to help us clear our thoughts, help us organize our thoughts, and help us map out a clear direction of where we want to go to help us navigate through the obstacles that we, we may encounter through daily life. And I'm here to do that for you. So check out my website. I've got plenty of free content uh, on my, my website, also on my YouTube channel, which is The Bradley Hall and uh, The Health Preacher. And uh, I'd love to hear from you. So thanks again for listening. We appreciate your support. And until then, take care of yourself.